you don't need venture capitalists. You don't need to raise you know, millions of dollars to build something. In fact, you can just make a subscription app that's seven or eight bucks a month. And that's such a small ticket to pay for some convenience that you're offering somebody that it's very easy to get subscribers that way. And when you have monthly subscribers, you accumulate revenue very quickly. Welcome, everybody, to The Chris Harder Show, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success, knowing that when good people like you make good money, they can then do great things. My name is Chris Harder, and several times per week, I will bring you epic guests, solo episodes, and every single tool, trick, and skill set you need to grow your business, grow your money mindset, and to grow your wealth to levels that you have never reached before. I've ended up in a unique place in life where I've got the experience, the connections, and all of the secrets that it takes to be successful. And I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Chris Harder Show, where we absolutely believe that both prosperity and generosity can and must coexist. Okay, so today I've got a really awesome interview for you. I'm sitting down with my good friend, Jonathan Maxim. Now, Jonathan owns an incredible agency that helps brand new apps get their first users. They're a marketing agency that helps you launch your app. And we're going to talk all about what it's like to launch an app, whether you have a small idea or a massive idea. When I say massive, Jonathan and his agency have been responsible for TikTok's first users, for Triller's first users, and so many other incredible apps that you use. So we're talking like big time expert here. Well, we sit down at his studio and we interview each other. What is it like growing my app? What is it like working with him? Because we hired his agency. What has it been like if someone has an app idea? How do they get it off the ground? What kind of idea is too small? What kind of idea is too big? If you've ever wanted an app, this is the episode for you. So get ready, listen up, take notes, reach out to him if you want help building an app. And do not forget, whatever dream is inside of you, you can make it happen. You just need the right people to make that so. My man, I'm excited to do this. So to everybody listening, we got to give them a little bit of context, right? Uh, We've been working together for, is it a year now? I mean, we've known each other way longer, but... Is it a year that we've been working on Frello together? Yeah, just about. It's just under a year. So we've had so many good conversations about like, how much money should you raise? How should you raise it? What should the branding look like? Can you please make my messy app idea into something that people would actually like? We have been through so many awesome ideas together that we said, how about I just fly out to LA? We sit down, we have a conversation back and forth, and we drop it on both of our platforms so that everybody can kind of learn vicariously through the journey that we're taking together right now. Absolutely. And and the the journey of building an app, I'm sure as you've seen, is is unlike any other. So I just hope that like people who are listening can have maybe it gives them the confidence to take that first first step in whatever that big idea is. Cause I think everybody at this point has said like, I've got an app idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well it's funny because I never had an app idea. I mean, yeah, I had app ideas, but I have never ever, and you know this about me, I have never, ever wanted to be an app entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. Tech freaks me out, man. Like I am, my tech skills is this, it's zero. But I had that calling in my heart to build this peer-to-peer lending marketplace that 
will take people who are, have an urgent financial need and take the fear and the shame and the inefficiency out of it and make it just really easy for them to get their 500 bucks or their 1,000 bucks or their 1,200 bucks that they need, right? And it meant so much to me that instead of saying, well, I'm not good at tech or I don't know how to build an app, I went out and I found the people that could do it with me. And this is interesting, not for me. Notice what I said, with me. And so I went and I got Matt, my business partner, who already built and sold a nine-figure tech company. And the best part is he kept his team from the exit. So our team now, they're already a, a team that's had a lot of success and they know how to get across the finish line. They know how to build tech. Uh, so I went and I said, Matt, you got to split this thing with me. And he said, if you can sell my team on it, we're in. Pitch them. They loved the altruistic version of it, right? Or, or the mission. And so they were in. And then I'm like, ah, oh, all right, Matt, even though you guys are a tech team, you've never built an app before. I know the guy. I know the guy that owns the agency that we got to work with. <laughs> the and that was, guy. And that was you. And, you know, you came into the fold and, and the three of us and our teams have just been crushing it. I feel like, I feel like we've been moving up at lightning speed, but I'm interested in what your opinion is. Are we moving fast? Are we moving slow? Well, first I, I want to just acknowledge my gratitude for you coming to me with this project, because one, I've always wanted to work with you on something really meaningful. We, we've done small things together, but nothing like this magnitude, you know, in the 10, hundred million dollar type of valuation. And that's, that's exciting for me. So thank you for bringing me in, Chris. And um, I, I will say that, you know, in the time we've been working together on this, this is probably the happiest engagement that I've had. And I know that's not commonly a measure for how business yeah. is done, but it but just it should be. I mean, I'll say so. Right. You know, it's it's just brought me a lot of joy. I look forward to the calls. I never like watching the clock and the, the ideas. There's a lot of like creative blossoming that happens when you got a team that has just sold a company for nine figures and then you've got a bunch of inspired people and then somebody like yourself as the, the leader is so charismatic. And I, I feed off your energy a lot. I love being around that. So, you know, I just want to acknowledge that just being in the same room with you and, and sharing that entrepreneurial, that creator energy has been has been really amazing. And I think that's part of what's made things flow so smoothly with the app. You know, it's not, it's not like we're running into huge crushing roadblocks. And that's very common yeah. for tech founders. And I think that's also why a lot of people have an aversion to it. So hopefully, you know, we can help people like dissolve that that fear of of starting. Because, I mean, you were not an app founder before. This was your no. first go at it. And and I think you've you've been smart to sur just literally surround yourself with people who, you know, like Alex Hormozzi said, he said, the best investment is to just go pay the smartest guy in the game right. to sell you his knowledge, to well, teach you. Well, listen, that's what we did with you and your agency. And, and I would love for context because I don't think my listeners know that much about some of the awesome things that you guys have done. Can you give me a highlight reel of what you and your agency has done in the app and tech world? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it actually started before I was running. We have K&J Growth Hackers, and that's a, a growth hacking firm. It's a boutique firm, got about 30 people all together here in New Zealand. And we've worked with clients like we did TikTok's explosive growth from 2019 to 2021. Our, that's kind of one of our breakout case studies. Did you guys get like the first million users or something? Well, we got them 22,000 downloads in about 18 hours. Wild. Yeah. And then Dang. we went on to do that multiple days in a row. That's a crazy story in itself. We'll have to talk about it at some point. But we took the methodology there and then we applied it to another company like TikTok called Triller, got their acquisition up 5x. We, you know, their cost per acquisition was around $10. We got it down to $2 and then went on to do it for another company called PayPal, got them to a million users in six months. So we spent a lot of time just, we, we, we cut our teeth in the app growth hacking space. And before I ever got into that, 
I had found a fitness rewards app. You know, you run two miles, you get two entries into a sweepstakes, you know, win products from Saucony and Red Bull and stuff like that. And then after that, you know, got into, you know, running the, the growth agency. And so now we've been doing it about six years. We've launched about 300 campaigns. And, you know, when, when Frello came to our door and when you came to my door, I was, I was excited because I was like, this is going to be one of those blowout case studies. Like, I wouldn't tell you this then, but I was like, I would work on this for free, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. just because like something I want to be a part of, you know. Note to Corinna, stop paying your invoice. <laughs> Corinna, please, please pay it. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding, just kidding. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a, a really awesome ride because I think you come in with a very um, vulnerable and open approach to things. You're, you're willing to listen. And I think that's the that's the root of all humility, but it's the root of all growth because, of course, you can absorb information and, and then excel and move faster. And so in, in this short time that we've been working together, we've gotten a, a beautiful brand designed out. Gorgeous. And we now have a, a working prototype for the app. And then we have a go-to-market plan for how to launch the platform, how to scale it to 10,000 users a month, and then how to get lenders and, and borrowers on the platform. And so I'm just really excited to see that. I mean, honestly, I can't wait to launch it, but I just have to be patient. Listen, b- before we talk about how we're going to make billions of dollars and like all the excitement, <laughs> I know where we're going. Like I have certainty of where we're going. I don't have certainty of what path we're going to take because nobody can, but I have certainty of where we're going. But before we go there, I want to talk to the people listening right now who are like, okay, this is cool. They're talking about apps. Uh, you know, Jonathan said that he literally launched 300 campaigns. So when you said that means you've helped 300 apps launch. Is that right? Do I have that right? Well, we've helped about 120 companies in each campaign or each client. We typically launch between two and three campaigns each. Okay. So, so. I, I feel like everybody I know, you open saying it, has an app idea. I actually never really did. But everyone else I know, they always have an app idea. How do they know if they should move forward on it or not? Talk to the person listening right now who's like, oh, I got an idea. How do they vet? Should I move forward or not? I think the the easiest measure that you can you can look at and whether you should build an app out of your big idea is to think about what you're an expert at that nobody else is quite as good at you at. Now that could be anything from walking dogs to how you take notes to how you make checklists. There's there's a lot of different ways that you can turn your zone of genius into an app. And I think the barrier to entry of, oh, I don't know how to code, I don't know how to design, et cetera. A lot of those barriers are being crumbled down because there are a lot of no-code platforms now that can make, like, for example, I'm planning to make a no-code app just to show people, like the listeners who are maybe scared of it, that anybody can do it. I'm going to make an app for how to launch apps. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. I want to make sure everybody can, can keep, keep up with us here. You're telling me, because our app, we're coding it, right? Is that a fair statement? Yes. But there's things that'll just let you do a no-code app, meaning what? You just input the skin that you want it to have and the function you want it to have, and boom, they've got an app. Is it cheaper to do it that way? Yeah, it's absolutely cheaper. It has much less flexibility and customization, but think of it like a drag-and-drop website builder. There are drag-and-drop app builders. So I, I encourage everybody to not be afraid of that. Now, I'll leave a link in the show notes where people can find platforms where you can build no-code apps. But as long as you have something of value that you know that you are amazing at, then I think you should pursue it. What's the dumbest app idea you have ever heard that turned out to be successful? And what's the best one you ever came across that did not? That failed. Hmm. That's a tough question. <laughs> Let's see. So the, the the dumbest one that I think did amazing, well, at least when I first saw it, was Snapchat. Yeah. All Snapchat was, this was like 
10, 15 years ago. You take a photo and you put some clunky white aerial text on it. Yep. And that that was the app. Yeah. And it went on to be, what, a billion-dollar company? Yeah, multi. And, and, they, and they stuck with it. I think that's really what matters is they, they picked up a, an idea and they ran with it and they really stuck with it. And so that just shows that, like, even if there's not – even if you don't think it's a brilliant idea – other people might and might love it. You yeah, know, it's important. Listen to the simplicity of that. Hey, guys, we're going to make billions of dollars. Well, yeah, how? Well, we're going to take a picture on our phone and we're just going to put some text over it and we're going to share it. It's going to be there for 24 hours. People are going, bro, what? Like, yeah, just dumb like, idea. What? What's next? That's not world changing. What's next? But look what it did. So, like, you can't, if you've got an idea that you're passionate, you're saying you can't skip over it thinking it's going to be dumb because the dumbest things turn out to be big things. Yeah. And what me and my team have done at K&J is we've isolated the time frame for getting the answer on whether it's going to work. We've isolated that down to about four to six weeks. So if you bring me an app idea, I can test it in market, get you a hundred different audiences tested and get comparative data to say, okay, look, we're acquiring users for $10 and they're paying us an average of $50 over their lifetime. This product has viability. Whereas historically, you wouldn't be able to get that level of market validation and data. So that is a lot of new app founders to come into the world, meet up with my team. We launch their app and we tell them within four to six weeks, like, hey, look, you got, you're got you onto something big here or that maybe you should change. But that's why we encourage a lean mindset because it's like you don't have to invest $100,000 in the app to go and find that out. All you have to do is run a small test. And so that's, you know, it's it's definitely a reason to take small steps or crawl, walk, run when it comes to building an app and and take a lighter approach, get validation, get proof on the idea that it works. And then and then when it does, you can you can scale up. It's really interesting because when you look at our financial projections for Frello, you know, we're putting let's call it eight figures into this thing, but we're swinging for the fences. What's the antithesis of that? What is the least expensive that somebody could start an app effectively with? And still have it have a real shot at grabbing hold and turning it into something big. A, a grand, five grand, 25 grand? Oh, no, even less. I mean, I think you could get it all done in a no code app for about under $1,000. Come on, come on. And it's all drag and drop, and you can literally be done in a weekend. Wait, why aren't we doing this? So, okay. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You are building something that is going to be a whole movement and it's world changing and custom. Yeah, and I think that. You can only do that with your decades and decades of business experience. Whereas, you know, you're creating something huge. When, when, when somebody's going to go create a niche product for something small, like for example, I, I think my idea is something that people could relate to in the sense of an app for how to launch apps. In this idea that I have, I was thinking we have a seven step process, a seven step framework for launching apps. So I'm going to put a checklist. And the platform and in the app that I'm making, it's just going to be a checklist. Did you do step one? Did you do the alpha testing with the audiences? Step two, check it off. So it'll just be really simple. It'll have a, a checklist for the main steps of your app launch. And then it'll have swipeable documents and templates that you can use for pitch decks and other, you know, marketing. Like you can figure out how to make ad videos and ad graphics. So I'm going to put that all into a simple app that's going to have maybe three navigation screens. And I'm going to do it all in a no-code editor to show the world that anybody can do this. And, th- and there's really no barrier to that. And when it, when it comes to like having a team like ours launch it, we can do it for as little as $4,000. So all in, you're talking about a $5,000 investment to build an app, get it tested by one of the best growth marketing yeah. teams in the world, and 
and get your answers. And this is why I encourage people who have some realm of expertise, no matter what it is. For example, my fiance is a, uh, she's an internal and corporate comms writer. So she coaches a lot of executives. So she could make a simple coaching app that had, here's the seven things to keep in mind every time you give a speech. And they could just pop it up, you know, before they go on stage, read through it. You know, so any any strike of brilliance can really become a business. It's just what's your expertise, what's your zone of genius, and and I think it's your your moral obligation to share that with the world. Yeah. And so totally. I really encourage people to. I totally agree. Like you know, the saying I would say: when good people make good money, they can do great things. If you have a little bit of extra money and a good idea, that can turn into a great thing for the world. It can solve problems that people have right now. So you can't sleep on it. That's why I'm glad that we're having these conversations. I think a lot of people picture, oh, I need millions of dollars. I don't know how to get it. Oh, I would need this great big team. I don't know how to get it. Oh, I don't know the first thing about you know tech. That's me. So I want nowhere to begin. So uh, never mind. I'm not going to do it. You're saying it could be simple as a few thousand dollars and a little bit of software that you're building and a little bit of testing that you guys do. And people will know within a few thousand bucks, do I have a viable idea or do I not? And if they have a viable idea, Great. Put more into it. If you don't, scrap it and try another thing. Yeah. And you'll have data to prove that case. You'll know I put in $1 and I got $4 out. And this is one of the notions I want to share with the world is that you don't need venture capitalists. You don't need to raise you know millions of dollars to build something. In fact, you can just make a subscription app that's seven or eight bucks a month And that's such a small ticket to pay for some convenience that you're offering somebody that it's very easy to get subscribers that way. And when you have monthly subscribers, you accumulate revenue very quickly. And so we have one project that we're working on. It's a golfing app. And they had 2,000 users on the platform. They came in, you know, to have us help them launch the platform. And I said, you know what, guys, you don't have monetization built in. Why don't you just offer people a seven-day trial and then 15 bucks a month after? And they built that in. It took them a few days of development. And then when we launched, but before we even launched, the 2,000 users that they had, they already had 15 paying subscribers, yeah. which doesn't sound like a ton. But if it's a fraction of 2,000, you know, when they get 4,000, now they've got 30 paying subscribers. And so then it becomes very easy to make the math of, okay, I'm paying 10 bucks to get a registered user who, who purchases and they're paying, you know, five bucks a month. I make my money back after two months. And then if they stick around, you know, that's a golfing app. So they're going to use it every time they book a tea time. So you could have somebody for 12 months and you could pay 10 bucks to acquire that user, make $120 off of them. Yeah. And and these guys, they have other jobs. They're working professionals. It's a side hustle. Yeah, it's a side hustle. And it can be for anybody. And I think that's what's so inspiring about it to me. It's, it's interesting. I take a look at what we're building, this two-sided marketplace. So you're talking about user acquisition, all this. And it's a two-sided marketplace. So imagine when Uber came out, if they had all riders, and no drivers. The riders are going to be like, ah, I tried the app, it sucks, never mind. Or if they had all drivers and no riders, the drivers are going to be like, ah, I can't make any money on this thing, it sucks, and they're going to delete it. Well, that's what I'm about to face. I need to have lenders and borrowers. Now, we've got our working theories. I think I'm going to need 10 to 12 borrowers for every one lender, because lenders are going to get excited about the fact that they can make a small return multiple, multiple, multiple times a year by making short-term, you know, four-week loans, two-week loans, six-week loans. And they can start flipping their money and end up with massive returns that won't be matched elsewhere. So I think my theory, and, you know, we know how good theories are, 
But my theory, especially on everyone sliding my DMs, like, hey, can I be the first to lend on it? We're going to have no problem finding lenders, a.k.a. the drivers for Uber. Mm -hmm. My fear is we're going to have an uphill battle finding borrowers, quality borrowers, that will know, like, and trust the app enough to say, okay, here's a little bit of information. And then trust when someone says, hey, you got these bids coming in. And trust enough to say, okay, fine, I accept this bid and I'm going to connect my bank account. Talk to me about how to, some of the best ways to acquire borrowers that we're going to do. Yeah, to get, it's really the end user. Yeah. So I think the, the most effective way to think about getting users on a platform is naturally building a component into the app that encourages them to share it. So they get the maximum value of the app if they share it. Okay. And that way, every user who comes on the platform will inherently want to bring a few other people with them. So if one user brings one, two, three other people, your cost for acquiring customer goes down by two, three, four X. Now, some of the ways that you can encourage people to inherently share it through the product functionality is you can say, hey, you can get better loan terms if you bring two people on the platform, you bring three people on the platform. You can increase your borrowing limit if you bring a couple more people on the platform. And so... That will encourage people to share, right? So you want to have that component built into the app. That's kind of what makes it viral. Okay. You know, Uber offers 20 bucks to the, to the rider and 20 yeah. bucks to the person who shares. So they, they built that right in. Dropbox built it right in. You get a gigabyte of space for every customer you sign up and they get a gigabyte of free space. So you want to have some incentive built in. Kind of like, a, it's, it's called social momentum. When people have multiple, like there's a, a line of incentives built in. So everyone gets a piece of the pie. It's interesting because it's not enough to like something. That doesn't get you talking about it. What do we know? When something's bad, people scream about it. But when, when something's good, they barely talk about it. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough for them to like the app or even your product. So for someone who's listening has a product, to get them to share it, you have to incentivize plus have something that they like. And that combination is what can help something go viral. Yeah, and that's really what creates that momentum. Now, you still have to get those core users on the platform in the first place. And I think one of the common misconceptions about apps is I'm going to invite all my family and friends to the app, yeah. which is, it's okay. But the thing is, is your mom is your biggest cheerleader, yeah. right? So she's always going to tell, tell you, you yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm honey, you're so good looking. And everyone else will go, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. So you really want to go to cold audiences, people who don't have a connection to the platform and, and ask the question, am I going to solve a direct problem for them. So it's it's really as simple as boiling it down to, they have this problem, I have this solution. Yeah. Don't try to build a whole bunch of features. That's when it becomes daunting and expensive and time consuming. Have one function and one outcome, right? And so once people try the app, if it, if it gives them the answer that they're looking for, for example, if I'm looking for a checklist on how to launch an app, I know for sure my app is going to show them how to do that. Yeah. So that's from a general conceptual perspective, how you want to approach the users and the user experience. Now, when it comes to user acquisition, I personally think that using media buying and ads is the best way to drive traffic because you have so much control of who sees the app. You have a lot of data and reporting on how they're using it. And so you can get really authentic, truthful data right up front that's not polluted by personal relationships who might be telling you what you want to hear or yeah. using the app more for that reason. So we like to do, we spend three to $5,000 in the first month or two on ads. So it's nothing astronomical. And that will get us enough data to prove whether the platform is profitable. 
So for three to $5,000, you can know whether the app is going to succeed and be profitable just on that test data. And that's really the way that I encourage people to start. And then once you've got that proof, then you can go expand to other strategies. Then you have justification for going and doing SEO or going and doing PR or sure. some, some other more organic Where strategies. Where the budget really starts getting big. Yeah, and time-consuming. Yeah. I find it fascinating because you know I'm looking at the, the journey ahead of us. And what you're saying is do smart, calculated moves that require patience. And you know me. I'm like, <laughs> can't we just like pull the rubber band all the way back and throw 10 million bucks at it and be like... <laughs> you know, scorched earth policy. Talk to someone like me that always wants to grow too big, too fast. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I have an experience of of growing too big, too fast. We had a company we started in October that did $220,000 in its first month. Wow. First month. So that meant, and and we're selling leads, selling sales leads. It's a paper lead business. So that meant we were passing through thousands and thousands of, of transactions per month. So that was a a lot of customer support. We did not expect to have that much customer support. And then when you're working with that kind of volume, any problem is automatically a big problem, right? If 30% of your users are affected by some bug in the app, Mm -hmm. then you've got, what, 3,000, 30,000 people who are banging on your tech support door. So there's there's a lot of reason to not just flood the market, even if your product is so good and it will get that kind of take rate, you still wanna stair step up. It's kind of, it's, it's the agile framework for anyone listening. I recommend you look into it. It's basically taking small steps and then building up that, that real momentum. And another risk with throwing a lot of money at a project is until you've got that test data back from, from the beta launch and you know, okay, we marketed to 100 audiences. Five of them were delivering an ROI, but the other 95 were not. So if you just dump all your money into that campaign and you don't realize that only 5% of that marketing spend is profitable, you're wasting the other 95%. Yeah. So we that's what we do in the testing process. We literally launch 100 ad campaigns, different audiences, and usually five to seven of them are profitable. And then we cut the other 93. And so we take that $10,000 of budget, for example, and we put it just into those seven audiences. So now those ones are getting 10 times as much ad spend and they're profitable. So you you don't want to throw a big budget at something until you know precisely which audience is profitable. And, you know, that's some, those are some of the things that we teach founders when they come to us. And we'll also, we have programs that will do that for them and take care of that testing. But that's, that's really what you get on your side is you want to have the data. You want to have the truth about where the best dollars are being spent. Let's talk long game. When do you get rich off an app? Now, let me put context around that. That's everyone's dream, right? Like, I want to build this app and I want to get rich. I want to be a tech founder. I want to be Elon Musk. I want to be whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is while you're growing the app, I don't care how great it's going, you're kind of just reinvesting the whole time Mm -hmm. into more growth, aren't you? So when is the I made it, I'm getting paid, I'm getting rich moment when you build an app? Well, I encourage founders because 99% of startups are not going to be venture-backed. They're not going to come out of San Francisco with a ton of capital behind them. So I encourage founders to have monetization built in and to make money right from the get-go. Why? One, because it subsidizes your costs. And two, because it gives you a lot of leverage in the conversation with investors. And so if you can go to investors and say, we're paying $1 per user and we're making $4 back, you know, over three months. It's attractive. Exactly. I mean, just me and you as investors, we're going to be like, oh, cool. Okay. It's all laid out clearly. Do they there. do all day long. 
Yeah. So that will not only give you more power and prowess in the negotiation, but it gives a clear business case on why somebody should invest. So I really don't recommend that people take the, oh, we're going to go huge and just get a ton of users and growth at all costs because you can have, you know, for example, with PayPal, we had a million users and we only started monetizing after that. And so when we're talking to investors, they're like, well, I got to see the business case here, you know? So I really recommend that people have monetization built in from the get-go. Don't worry about investors because that is out of your control and you want to manage things that are in your control. So I really recommend that they make sure that the platform's making money, have, even if it's a freemium with the seven-day trial. And then don't worry about investors, worry about running a good app because your windfall moment, your breakout moment is when those monthly subscriptions accumulate. You know, if you got some, if your average customer sticks around nine months and you're acquiring new customers every month, after nine months, this is going to be an exponential effect. And because it's all software and there's 100% leverage, you don't have to do any work to actually bring new customers on the platform. Then it starts to grow astronomically and it way outweighs the, the costs. Interesting. When I, when I think of apps, I put them in three categories in my mind. There is the grow as many users as you can and then monetize it because you've got this big base of users through advertising, data, that kind of thing. So that's category one for me. Let's give an example of that. That would probably be like a, a what? A Twitter, right? Grow as many users as you can, and then everybody wants to advertise on the platform. Category two for me is create a membership right away, like you were talking about, monetize right away. Seven bucks a month, 15 bucks a month, two bucks a month, whatever. And you'll grow less users, and it'll take longer probably because now you're asking for a credit card up front to use the app but at least you're not just burning cash waiting for a payday, right? So that's the positive and, and, and the downside of that. Then there's the third category, and that is transactional. And that's what I would say our app is. You know, that's what Frello is. In other words, I remember you saying to me, you said, this is genius because you don't have to grow this thing big before you make any money. We are making money from the very first transaction. The very first time someone says, hey man, I'll give you your 500 bucks. All you got to do is pay me back five fifty in four weeks. The minute that transaction takes place, we make money. And so it's not saying sign up. It's not saying pay a monthly fee. It's none of that. It's pay if you play. Don't pay if you don't. So talk to me about those three different models. Do you think that one's not better than the other? But do you think that our type of model where we're monetizing through transactions right away, does that give us a distinct advantage? Absolutely, it doesn't. The challenge, you have a marketplace app where people only pay if they make a transaction. Yeah. It's a great model. It does have the catch-22 challenge. I've got to get Buyers borrowers and, and lenders. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's the catch-22 challenge. Requires a little more effort and investment up front. But if we go back to scenario one, which is the growth at all costs, massive users. First of all, a lot of the big categories and opportunities have been taken over by the incumbents like yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, right? Another risk of that industry is that you are depending on investors. And if something like the SVB crash happens or yeah. you know, a market crash happens, then the venture capital gets cut off. And that's happening right now. A lot of venture-backed startups are, are starving right yeah. now. So you don't want, again, you want as many chips in your hand or in your control as you can because you don't want to depend on somebody from the outside, especially if you're a first-time founder. You don't want to have some you know, rigorous, crazy investor breathing down your neck. You want to be able to make those calls yourself. You want to have ownership of it. 
Now, the Model 2, the membership platform, I think that's a great model. It, you, you really can't lose because it's incremental. It's a little bit out of time. You don't get way too many customers to handle. Monetizing early. Yeah, and you're making money from the get-go. And then what Frello is, and I don't know if we've told the audience what Frello is, but Frello properly, Frello is an app that helps people who are in need get a quick, friendly loan yep. from somebody who's willing to yeah. lend. It's like borrowing from your neighbor, only it's anonymous. Exactly. And so Frello enables somebody to borrow $500, $1,000, and it will automate all their payback, clear up all the terms, and make things really straightforward and simple and flexible for the borrower. Yeah. And so then we have protections for the lender as well, which is amazing. But the, the brilliance of that platform is that it's helping out middle America. And, and middle America is where that is the backbone of America. Yeah. Small business is the backbone of America. And so what you're doing with Frello is really amazing to watch because these people really need that help in the moment. Maybe it's to fix the air conditioner on a hot mm -hmm. summer. And you're helping them out in that moment. Then when they get their paycheck, they'll pay the loan back. Mm -hmm. And so then lenders like yourself and I, who want to deploy a little bit of money and, and, and make good on it, somebody's doing a $500 loan and paying back 600 because we got them out of a pinch, that's 20% return yeah. and, you know, a very short term. So it's very, very favorable for both sides. And beyond all of that, Frello is very altruistic. It is helping those in need while empowering those who are looking to do good, one, and two, put their money to work in a smart way. Yeah, it's an absolute win-win. And it's funny because the ultimate example of why Frello now is coming into existence is the landscaper. Like people probably... They probably don't know. This wasn't like an idea I thought of. I didn't think, oh, let's have a two-sided marketplace, lenders and borrowers, and let's, you know, take the power away from the banks. Well, that's great. But where it started was a landscaper that slid into my DMs. He said, hey, man, you know, I'm really embarrassed to, to ask this, but I need $680 for two truck payments that I'm behind on. And if I don't get it in the next couple of days, then they're going to repossess my truck. And if they repossess my truck, not only will I lose my landscape business, but there's two guys that work for me and they're going to lose their jobs. And he said, is there any way that you would lend me $680? A stranger, mind you, a stranger inside in DM saying, embarrassed to ask this. And I have a personal policy. I get about a hundred of these requests a month. You know, when you have a brand around generosity and money, you know, people just naturally say, here's my hardship, could I have some money? And so I had made a personal policy to say no to all of these types of requests. But this one, I've got no other way to describe it. It was like a message from God or higher power, whatever it said, open this one, answer this one. So I said, hey, stranger, I won't lend you the $680, but I will send you, I will give you the $680. I will send it to you via PayPal. And all I ask is that you work hard to put yourself in position to do this for somebody else down the road one day. I believe in you. That was it. I thought I'd never hear from this guy again. Was this real? Was it not? Didn't care. Just thought I would do something nice that day. And sure enough, about two months later, totally unsolicited, he reaches back out and he says, hey, Chris, I just want to let you know what you, you did for me that day. When you sent me the $680, not only did I get current on my truck and kept my business and those guys kept their job, but when you said for me to put myself in position to do this for somebody else one day, combined with your act of generosity, combined with the fact that you said, hey, I believe in you. It's like, man, I don't know why, but that lit a fire in me. And I have gone absolutely crazy going out and getting as many landscape jobs as humanly possible in the past couple of months to the point where I'm now buying a second truck 
and hiring two wow. more guys. And I thought, Jonathan, what the, like $680? That's it. It's not a lot of money. I know it's a lot of money to, to a lot of people, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. And that was the difference between somebody losing their business plus two guys losing their jobs or somebody catching fire and creating two additional jobs for the economy. And that was the seed that was planted in me that said, I got to figure out how to solve this. How do we become the, the tinder of men and women that need money? They're in an urgent jam. And people like us are like, yeah, I'll bet on you. Wow. See, I didn't know the story to that level of detail. I thought that was a hypothetical when I first heard it from you. The fact that that's a real story is, it honestly just warms my heart. It gives me goosebumps because it's like, you are, were the domino, the tipping point for something positive. And the end outcome was that you created two jobs by, I mean, in theory, lending this guy 600 bucks. Jenna had such a, such a visceral, profound effect on me. See, my wife grew up where they traded the same $100 around the house all the time, right? Very tight on money. Hey, who's got the hundred bucks? I got to pay for school or something. Hey, who's got the hundred bucks? I got to fill up the tank with gas. Wow. Where do these people go? First of all, if you go to a payday loan store, if you need a thousand bucks, I'll turn into 2,500, 3,500 bucks like that before you know it, right? You're never digging out of that. And now that we live in the gig economy, Uber drivers, DoorDash drivers, you know, TaskRabbit, you name it, people don't even have consistent paychecks to go to a payday loan store. So what happens? They have nowhere to turn. You know, a bank wants you to go to the bank and apply for a personal loan and submit your, your page stubs, your tax returns. We'll tell you, get back to you in a week. Like, come on, man. The furnace is, is broken and I'm cold today. And this, this, I couldn't shake it. And like I told you earlier in this episode, man, I never wanted to build an app. I never wanted to be in tech. Tech scares the crap out of me. <laughs> But I couldn't ignore this calling to create this two-sided marketplace to solve this problem, to take the shame, to take the fear out of people who are in a financial jam. At the same time, it's creating returns that will be unmatched anywhere else. If you think about the see, when in, in investing, it's much more important to make a small return many, many times than it is to make one large return over a long period of time. What do I mean by that? I would rather... Make 10% every four weeks, flipping that money, right? That'd be 10, that'd be 12 times in a year. That'd be 120% return on my money. I'd rather make 10% 12 times in a year than hold out to make 30% like a credit card does over the course of a whole year. So it's an absolute win-win for everybody. It solves a big problem on both sides. Yeah, and I, I want to tap into that a little bit deeper because you shared what I would consider an intervention from God, right? There was an omen that you were given that said, Chris, I want you to reply to this message and I want you to follow through with it. And then as a result of that, you created this, what I would consider a dream business, right? And following that intuition is really important. I think, I think that that little bit of pain that you felt from yeah. sending that money was enough meaning to put your, your caring into this. And so then when you saw the follow through of the story, you know, the universe or God or whoever put it out in front of you, he said, your good deed has been recognized and acknowledged. And now go take what I taught you from that experience and go make an impact. With Listen, it. if you really want to go there, you know, some, sometimes you never know what the audience thinks, but let's go there for a minute. It was a visceral feeling. It was a physical feeling. I describe it as a beam of light that came down through my head into my heart that said, open this message, answer this message, 
give the guy the money, even though, you know, you get a hundred of these requests a month, this guy, give this guy the money. This is the one. Yeah. And then he reaches back out with that, that mini success story. And then, you know, so I'm like, God, how do I make this happen? I've got to make this happen. And my friend, Matt was just wrapping up the sale of his tech company, you know, nine figures and is a competitor. So the competitor said, Hey man, I want your tech. I want your customers, but I do not want your team. Cause you gotta so, get out of here. <laughs> right. So Matt being the good guy goes to his team. He says, Hey guys, thank you for getting us across the finish line it means the world. They don't want to continue your employment because it's redundant. Wow. They have their own team, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pay all of your salaries for the next two years. Wow. And I don't care. If you sit at home and coast, you've earned it. I don't care if you get a job no and double way. dip, you've earned it. Or maybe someone will come along one day, bring us an idea that we can all work on together again because we know that we enjoy working. And who's that? Here's me. Matt, 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 you got to help me, right? <laughs> so that part was wow. divine. How is an entire successful tech entrepreneur and team sitting around waiting at the perfect time waiting? For the perfect how idea and opportunity. Right? And how do I know them already? So then it gets even more divine. Like, the investors lining up that want to be a part of this, your availability, your team's availability to be available to grow. Like people say something of this magnitude is supposed to be tough. It's supposed to have all these headwinds. I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but honestly, this has been so divinely led and has been so smooth sailing so far that that's how I think I know. I'm really creating something that was meant to exist in this world to help other people. And I can certainly vouch for that. I, I want to encourage everybody who has had that thought to trust that intuition because everyone knows what a gut feeling is. We've all been told what that means. And I encourage you to trust your gut and listen when you're getting a message because it could just be that tipping point, just like your situation. You ran into a guy who just sold a company for $100 million or something crazy like that, waiting for the next brilliant idea to come and a great partner, and then it just happened that way. Yeah. And so I just really encourage people to take the leap because maybe a younger you might not have taken that leap, yeah. but who you are today can teach other people that down the road, that's who I want to become. And I need to trust my intuition and, and trust my moments of inspiration and the strike of brilliance and act on it. Listen, I don't care if you're in your 20s and you hear this, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and you hear this, your 60s, and you hear this. Take the risk. Follow the intuition. Find a way. Like, if you think about every great founder who's ever brought any great product to the world that we use, the whole thing was a risk. They were willing to say, I blew it up and I lost it all and I had to start from below zero again. But this thing meant so much to me that I was willing to do that. There, people like to make risk scarier than it really is. You know, uh, the listeners listening right now, if they're listening to my show, they may know this. If they listen to your show, they probably don't. I lost everything. And I mean, starting from below zero financially in the Great Recession. What was that, about 12 years ago now? Wow, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Bro, I worked for the world's largest bank and I was in my late 20s and I thought it was going to last forever. So I used to spend next year's money. So we're living beyond our means. All of a sudden the music stops, right? Especially in the banking and real estate industry. The music stops. And I spent Grinding a year off. of my time getting up first thing in the morning, getting on an airplane, flying to some random ass city like Rapid City, South Dakota, 
and walking into a bank branch saying, hey guys, I'm sorry, I'm here to shut you down today. You know, I met with wow. my entire team, person by person by person, over a thousand people one by one over the course of a year, laying them off. No way. It was the worst. I gained 30 pounds. I oh was miserable God. because I was miserable. My marriage was miserable. So here's why I share all this. And then I had to go home and tell my wife, hey, babe, it's my turn. After you're doing that, losing my job. By the way, we've been living beyond our means. Got to sell this giant house we just built, sell all the cars, walk away from the rental properties. No way. And go get a tiny little 900 square foot apartment in downtown Minneapolis, or uptown Minneapolis and start over. And wow. so here's why I share that story. I know what it's like to have to start from below zero. I know what it's like to feel destitute and like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do next. But I'm also living proof that some of the greatest things come out of that. You know, we wouldn't be the entrepreneurs that we are today. I would still be in corporate America, working in the banking industry, probably. I wouldn't be the entrepreneur I am today. Lori wouldn't be the entrepreneur that she is today. We wouldn't have the financial success that we've had. We wouldn't have the impact that we've had. All because when you're stripped of everything, you get to choose again. You get to choose, how do I want to show up this time? What do I want my identity to be this time? What, how do I want to add value to the world this time? Who is me 2.0 this time? And you get to choose that when you got nothing left. You're a brand new blank whiteboard, a blank chalkboard when somebody comes along and erases everything that you had. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't realize how far behind the T you had become in that circumstance. And, yeah. and I guess my question for you, Chris, is how many people do you think that you've impacted through your coaching? I mean, if you measure between our podcasts and I think between Lori's and my podcast, we're creeping up on 60 million downloads. Wow. 60, million listens, money given to charities in the millions, businesses started because someone else's business, because someone else's business, because like that trickle down effect. You know, you know how they say a teacher thinks that they're teaching 30 students, but they're actually teaching tens of thousands of people because of trickle down effect. There's no way to put a number on it. And none of that would happen without losing everything and getting to start again. So, I, I mean, I share this just because if someone's listening and they have an idea, man, burn the bridges and try it. Trust me, starting over isn't that bad. Lori and I were happy when we were starting over. Wow. We had fun. We walked thousands of miles around the neighborhood, around the lakes that were, you know, close to the neighborhood that we lived in. Just dreaming about, hey, what's our next chapter? What's our next comeback? Life was simple when we lost it all. We really were genuinely freaking happy when we were starting over. So don't be afraid to risk it all. Your worst case scenario is nowhere near as bad as what you imagine it to be. Yeah, and I think like if, if, if you've got a job and you've got an idea and you want to build something, go do it, you know? It. When, so in 2016, I had $60,000 in student loan debt. And then I started a company that had driven me about another $30,000, $40,000 in okay. debt. So from 2016, I was $100,000 in the hole. Frankly, I didn't even know it because I hadn't really been looking at my student sure. loans and it just hadn't landed for me yet. And at that time, I have been stripped of everything. Essentially, I, I sold the company that I was working on because I couldn't sustain growing it. I couldn't sustain continuing to invest in it. And then I got a fresh start. And I think a lot of people maybe don't realize that's actually 
I call it like a cold shower. Yeah. It's afterward. It wakes you up. Yeah. It's going to be painful when it's happening. You're going to be like, why am I doing this? But then you feel refreshed and awoken. And and so you get this fresh start. And I, I think that's actually part of the beauty of life is not many people get to experience the lowest low and the highest high like you've experienced. And if you just live in the gray area and, you know, yeah. lower middle of wherever you're at, that's you're not going to get what you really no, you're want out of life. I mean, you need dark to experience light. You need unhappy to experience happy. You need out of shape to experience what fit feels like. You need polarity to be happy or without polarity, nothing has any definition. So I'm not advocating everyone goes out there and, you know, goes broke just so that they can appreciate having money again. But you can't be afraid of the polarity because, oh, it makes everything better. Yeah. And I think it also just goes to show that you you should enjoy taking that leap. You should be grateful for the opportunity to have a fresh start. Yeah. Because a lot of people, again, coast along and and you know, they find that they start to feel old and tired and uninspired. And that's because they haven't taken that cold shower. Yep. And so it's it's really a, a great case for just throwing shit to the wind and trying. Yeah. Well, let's start to put a bow on this thing. If somebody, you know, now they're inspired, right? They're like, all right, I'll lose it all. I don't care. I'm going to build my <laughs> my whatever app, right? How should they get started? How do they know if they are the, in, at the right stage to reach out to you? Where do they reach out to? You know, because I don't want you to start getting 10,000 DMs. Hey, here's my idea. You know, should we start? But I also don't want someone to count themselves out. So how do they know when they should reach out to you? Well, okay. So we work with people who typically have a product in hand. They can have zero users on it. We'll go get them users. We'll launch it and do all of the A-B testing and profitability testing in the first month. But they've already got the app, you're saying? So yeah, if you've already got an app, I'd love to speak to you. If you know, for some reason I can't help you directly, I'll connect you with somebody or get you free resources. I have a lot of free resources around this from checklists. I have an ebook that's the seven steps to a viral app launch, which anybody can get for free. Where's it? Uh, kjgrow.co slash ebook. Wait, say that again slower, man. I'll leave it in the show notes, but K Kevin James kjgrow.co slash ebook. All right. Okay, so that's that's one free resource that I'm always happy to just put in somebody's hand because it's the same framework that we implement as a company. So they can start to get educated on how to launch an app. Now, if you if you don't have an app and you're you've maybe just got an idea, I would encourage you to go research some no-code app platforms. Just Google it. Yeah, just Google no-code app. That's honestly how I found it. I was doing research for something else and I realized that somebody with no experience, no money, just a little curiosity and a little time can make an app. Yeah. And so if you, you know, if you put together an app and you want my help marketing it, you know, my pleasure, I'd be happy to help. Now, if if you do have the app, that's really where we can add the most value. For example, we have a one startup that we're working with where they were getting four customers a day and they want, their target was 10 customers a day. So we helped them reach their goal within about a month and a half. So that's a pretty common scenario. We typically shoot for four to eight weeks to get a, an app profitable and launched. Now, if if you're looking, if let's just say you work at a tech company and you've got a more mature platform, we have worked with companies like TikTok and Triller. So we've got a lot of experience doing the, the, the grander scale of marketing stuff. And I'd love to either speak to you or connect to you in some way or another. But 
it really doesn't take a lot to get started. Like if you're an app founder and you want somebody to come in and put some real jet fuel behind your platform, our services, we used to charge about thirty dollars to $40,000 a month. Now we do it for $4,000. Yeah. So they can get started for much cheaper. And the whole reason is, is to democratize this knowledge, democratize this opportunity. If you've got a couple more minutes, I can't skip over the TikTok thing because as we're recording this, you know, they just got done with the Senate trials, which to me looked like an absolute clown show. Yeah. And, you know, there's all the talk about banning TikTok and they're fighting it out in the government right now. Will they, won't they? You were there in the original days of TikTok, helping them grow their first 22,000 users in 16 hours. Is that right? Yeah. So you've seen behind the curtain. You know what they're about. What's your take on all this? Well, I do think that they're up against a serious fight. There's been a lot of talk of an American company acquiring them, in which case they could stay in America and they would just literally have a different back end. So they would be fine. Now, being a company that spends a lot of money advertising on TikTok for our stuff and on behalf of yeah. clients, it's pretty scary. We definitely think that it's, it's going to hurt a lot of small businesses if it goes away. Yeah, it's, it, it, it could have a big ripple effect. And I do think there's, uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about it taking six months or 12 months for that eviction to happen, if yeah. you will. But... I think that it could happen much faster. But I do think when, you know, they've got over a billion users, there's a good likelihood they're not going to leave. But I would say be prepared for it if they do. Now, you know, from a more geopolitical perspective and things like that, I don't know what they're doing with the data on the back end. I'm not a huge fan of some foreign country having access to, you know, our 14-year-old kids you know, videos in their camera and stuff like that. So I don't really know where I stand on that. I just hope that they're doing ethical behavior on the back end. I, I just, I don't know. But I would say TikTok is a great platform for advertising. Users are super engaged. So from a marketing perspective, it's an ex- extremely valuable resource. Now, there are other platforms. We do most of our marketing on Facebook, Instagram, just because you get the most data there. But other platforms like Snapchat and Pinterest are also great for that as well. So I wouldn't lose too much sleep over it. But again, if you're building an audience there, you're investing a lot in producing creative straight for the platform, you're producing content for TikTok. You know, it's definitely something to think about and, and take pause at because, you know, if that's taken away, you know, could could cost you a lot in terms of the effort you've put in. If you're a major creator on TikTok and it's part of your livelihood or revenue, what should you be doing right now to protect yourself? The best way always as a creator is to own your your media, right? To own the channel and how you access your audience. So having an email list, you know, having a group like a Facebook group or any kind of custom group, you know, maybe having a course in Kajabi or something like that. You just want to own access to it because, you know, at any time, like, for example, when when Meta rolled out the waves back in the day and stopped giving people reach, you know, people reach like, you know, one to five percent of their audience. So you're at the whim of, of the big platforms. And it's it's a good case for owning where you put your content, either making a subscription where people pay to access your content, et cetera. But you want to get that audience off of the platform and into your email list or something like that. That's the truth. All right. Uh, where could people find you if they want to follow up and, and learn more about you and all the good stuff? You know, my handle across social platforms is it's J Maxim, ITS J Maxim. And feel free to just shoot me a DM, you know, whether or not you're ready to, to work with us and have your launch, your, have us launch your app. I'm happy to provide free resources and insight and guidance of, of where you can just, you know, get things done. And then if you, if you're, 
you know, do have an app and you want to work with K&J, you can just go to kjgrowth.com and, you know, you apply on the site and, you know, we'll jump on the phone with you and either way we'll do a, a proper analysis of your your platform and your data and we can tell you whether it looks like you're going to get profitable or going to be able to scale soon, so. That's awesome. And you guys can always send me all your business questions to Chris W. Harder on Instagram. I try to get to them all. I used to promise I'd get to them all. Wow. Now she's gotten out of control. Yeah, you're too popular for that. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it's my favorite thing to do is, is, is to get people's business questions and, and answer those things. So go find me at Chris W. Harder. All right, man. I don't know how long we sat here. Felt like a while, but sure appreciate and, and, and love just being a part of your life and getting to build great things with you. And the fact that we got to jump on here and who knows, maybe some of the world's greatest apps coming forward. It could be because of this conversation. Yeah, and that's that brings me joy. So yeah, thank you for coming on the show. And, and it's been great to be here with you, Chris. I just, I love hanging around you and your energy and, and appreciate you bringing me into the Frello family and excited to see what comes out of it. Likewise, brother. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success. 